The Wolf and Bull podcast was prepared, conducted, and hosted by the Wolf and Bull team in their personal capacity. This podcast is for expressive listening entertainment, and any views, ideas, or opinions may or may not extend past the boundaries of this podcast. Conversations or specific comments on behalf of the hosts and guests are for entertainment purposes only. Due to language and potentially offensive topics, listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, The Wolf, and my sound is The Wolf, as I always forget to turn on uh, every single episode that appears to be the only theme of this show is me just fumbling through our intros every episode. It's great. Uh, and then also across from me is The Bull, and his sound Hey, I still sound like a no, weird, not sound like strange a bull. mix of animals. That's the other theme, me sounding like they don't have bull sounds. strange mammal. They don't have bull sounds. They don't. Somewhere. No. Somewhere in the great vast metaverse mm-hmm. is a bull sound. I'm gonna get I'm just gonna get a moo. I'm just gonna get a moo. And then uh, obviously oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then obviously we have our resident guest, uh Beowulf, which is Irish That's music. Me. Eventually I think we're gonna get dinged for that. Uh, why? why would we? Why? Uh, someone somewhere is offended by anything everywhere at all times. This so. is traditional Irish We're in America. Oh, who cares? Yeah, We're a well, great melting pot. Depending on who you're Irish, talking to. The Irish helped build this country. Did they not? Yeah, we potato famine our that, way to success. Was that an attempt at an Irish accent that was totally... Oh, no, I didn't actually. I wasn't okay, even trying. I thought you were going Did I have that. a moment? Yeah, you did. A yeah. little bit yeah. of a moment. Um, and just before we even get started on the episode, I'm sure people watching uh, and listeners not watching because they're listening and not watching uh, <laughs> have noticed, you should be watching, uh, that we have changed some things. Uh, everyone give a quick cheer for the walls, for, wow. the, for the sign. Yeah, we got kids cheering. Yay. Kids, kids cheering. cheering. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ka-chow. Yeah. Give wow. Wow. That was Chow. Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. Uh, and just a quick reminder for our listeners and for people watching, this is now actually the reminder. Uh, if you like what you hear, you like what you see, if you like what we're talking about, go ahead and make sure to give us a follow on Instagram. Uh, give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any major listening platform. Uh, also, if you are watching, how dare you not subscribe? Uh, we are a small independent team of uh, coffee Coffee owners. <laughs> we, we, coffee. we source organically coffee. owned, organically coffee. made coffee. Organically which, owned coffee from the store. Yeah, which, by the way, what were we talking about the other day? You said, uh, what does that mean? We saw a commercial and they said something like holistically like founded coffee oh, beans. Yes. Oh, founded. Ethically, ethically, ethically sourced. What does that mean? Well, it can mean a, it's a vast array of things. It's definitely a marketing gimmick. And I think there is some credence to it. Like, we don't. Uh, you know, pick up slaves from third world countries and tell them to pick our co- coffee beans for, you know, 
a dollar a year. Okay, well, before we, we get, hope that's where do they not get them? Well, before we get too far down that very dangerous rabbit hole, I'm just uh, saying this, you don't you don't want to have that coffee. Well, Wouldn't you rather have coffee where someone till, was? We wait till the beans ripen and fall into the basket. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. source <laughs> usually means okay. So it was done with environmentally sustainable practices. Plus, whoever was helped to manufacture or harvest were usually paid a fair wage yeah. for wherever they yeah. are. Well, uh, well, this show is ethically sourced. Um, and we ethically source our coffee beans. So go ahead and give us a, a subscribe on YouTube and uh, yeah, we'll help our podcast grow, our show I grow. Don't, uh, I don't believe this is ethically sourced because you're treating the bull very poorly with that noise. Oh, I think we with need that, to, that opening yes, that's right. roar of a, like a deer? I'm not sure what, what it is. is. That? It's something wounded in the distance. It's a bull moose. A bull That's what that is. It's a bull moose. A wounded bull moose. You know, no, you know, that is a very that is lonely, a, lonely bull moose. I that is a mating call of a bull exactly moose. That is. we should address the elephant in the room here before we get started. We for have real, a sign? For real. We have a sign? The elephant? Oh, the well, yes, the sign. The sign looks great. If you're watching, it does. It does. It looks love awesome. the neon sign. Fantastic job. I painted this entire room by myself. Yes, you did. However, the, Naked. the elephant in the room, those of you who watched or listened to the latest episode, we are all... Kumbayaing right now. We were we were quite combative in the last last episode. Did you not notice? What are you talking well, about? Well, all you Irish think you're combating all the time. I'm there just always go. ready to, Me? to fight. I should have been yes. well. Like an attorney. All I can say is somebody brought a hatchet to a gunfight. That's what I can say. That means that they lost. That was a phenomenal. You, <laughs> you had to listen to the last one to know what the heck. That was a phenomenal about. argument. Uh, the Wolf and Bull podcast, hosted by me, the Wolf, uh, and my co-host, the Bull, uh, and our resident Your guest, Beowulf, co-co-host. Um, yeah, we are so good at arguing and debating that we actually discuss the viability of what was it the was it sending axes somewhere uh, axe economy that's what it was yeah the axe no. economy yeah. you economy. just have to this listen is, to the latest episode if you are totally confused yeah, i yeah. think we should have renamed it the axe of evil yeah but uh well that axe that's good, one. good. I that's thought actually it was a good, good one. one that is yeah, a good one you know here we'll do the kids cheering again that's a good one yeah. i was meaning to two switch. cheers within the first five minutes i'm done well i was wow. meaning to get the clap over on this platform but i didn't do that um but yeah uh how's everyone doing we were gone so our show was a little late this week normally we post on thursdays for audio so i should be able to have it late tonight um and then fridays for video which i'm going to bust my ass try and get out tomorrow uh but a little bit later we believe um you. thank you so much mm-hmm. um but yeah how's everyone doing we were all on a trip we were we well we were traveling a, a lot trips, a couple yeah. of trips had two business trips one after the other Bull and I did for our uh, our our what would you call it daytime job, day job, Their day job, day job. There you go. Yeah, we yeah. were out from coast to coast. Went to the east coast and then went to the west coast, and now we're back. We've covered in the a desert. lot of air. Oh yeah, a lot oh, of yeah. mileage. But yeah, yeah it, was it was all good. good. Mm-hmm. It was all good. We mm-hmm. got to see a variety of of uh, crowds mm. with uh, kind of diverse. I don't know viewpoints okay on their the, their outlook on life really. yeah one was doom and very gloom. evident one was definitely doom and gloom mm. and, and a lot of well, stuff i understand i mean you know there is the realist in all of us is there mm. not maybe we'll there's, talk about that a little bit today, uh, well right? you know just and there's just the optimist in all of us to yeah. back off what you're saying there was we went to two separate conferences and there was a distinct culture 
of each conference that was starkly different at each, I think, mm. at least in my personal opinion. But yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, how certain attitudes can really make a difference. Well, the thing that interested me about both mm-hmm. is that they, they weren't on the extreme distant from each other as far as perspectives and things. They were distinct for sure. But they all had the same, I don't know, imperative behind them. Mm. And that's to try to move the audience in the direction they decided was most important in either an optimistic direction or a realistic direction, depending on your point of view. And it was a, a pull and prod. It was, it's the ultimate of using positives and negatives for the same goal. And it, it'd be really interesting to kind of dive into the effectiveness of each of those when you're trying to draw on people's emotions. It felt like it was one was about, you know, goals and dreams or whatever, just getting to wherever you want to go as in the taking a leap of not really faith, but just, you know, taking a risk. And while the other one was survival mode. Well, it's, it's almost like there was, there's a risk analysis going on in both, right? And the over optimist side of people say, risk this because your belief in what your opportunity or what you're looking to achieve is so much greater than the downside of the risk that you should do that. You should bridge the gap and believe in this set of circumstances, this scenario, this process, whatever it is to get you to where you're headed, Yeah, which is a very enlightened kind of viewpoint or so maybe not enlightened so much as a light Mm. version. And then conversely, the other side was, Okay, if you want to survive the onslaught of circumstances that come uh, crashing in on business leaders in particular, in the regulations and, and all the things involved with circumstances beyond your control, then you must defend against it and you must take a dark viewpoint of it mm-hmm. yeah. to, to put up a shield, if you will. Well. On that note, and that fourth segue, I'm going to jump in the monologue quick. Distract the audience. Oh, we're distracting? Hi, I'm your friendly neighbor. I didn't see you there. I'm the wolf. And I'm here to tell you about our new and improved paradigm that everyone should be a part of. It's called cynicism, and it's all the rage. Are you tired of feeling good? Do you dislike anything resembling an optimistic future? Do you disguise being a cynic by claiming that you're a realist? If you're anything like me, then the answer to all those questions is a hypocritical no? You see, having an outlook that's anything other than downright dreadful is something that simpletons do. People who think there's a silver lining? (laughs) Well, they likely have a silver head of hair. Those darn Q-tips think they know what they're talking about, but surprise, surprise, they don't. Anyways, on the other end, there's also the young, dumb, and naive individual who thinks the world is wonderful and open to opportunity. And they're just stupid, just like all the Q-tips. At the end of the day, everyone's dumb. But oftentimes, man often becomes what he believes himself to be. If I keep on saying to myself that I cannot do a certain thing, it is possible that I may end by really becoming incapable of doing it. On the contrary, if I have a belief that I can do it, I shall surely acquire the capacity to do it even if I may not have it at the beginning. Mahatma Gandhi said that. He was assassinated at 78 years old. 
didn't even live to see the year 2022. <laughs> what a moron. If you're tired of people who are obviously not as intelligent, funny, or awesome as you, giving you silly advice like work hard or be a good person, then you should order a case of cynicism today. Whether you think it's the end of the world or the end of democracy, you're likely right. And that's why we're talking about the Enlightenment Principles. That was wonderfully done. That was a Good fever sir. dream of uh, psychotic energy. Is what I that felt was. like I was somewhere between like a motivational. I'm still grooving. Like, I'm still grooving to the uh, music. Yeah, like an affirmation wake up call yeah. and like Love Island intro. Well, I was trying to decide between songs to choose and I had this one too. Hi. Do you struggle with erectile dysfunction? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it works though, right? Like, my name's Steve, and I have had a loveless marriage <laughs> for about 75 years. Even though I'm 26. Whoa. 26, strangely enough. I'm not really Steve, and I'm not 26. Uh, this commercial has everything to do with schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah, it's just lovely. Yeah, it, it's so much fun fun in my opinion to play with all the buttons but i hope you guys enjoyed that that was um, great did. Yeah, yeah i did I, yeah you know I, so I'm, not, I'm just i don't even know where to go with all that yeah so cynicism how much all is, the it? Rage, is it how say? many even payments of of 1995 per month funny you asked it's actually 37 payments of 1995.95 per month which oh. is a crippling amount of money <laughs> more than once <laughs> dare a day I, dare i say it life ruining um, I but, uh, cynical about your uh, possibility of that curing anything for me, though. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And, hey, hey I, I, I got to go in defense of the Q-tips here because mm. I'm va- rapidly approaching that, and possibly without having shaved not, my head, I would. You're not a Q-tip. Yeah, that applies having hair. He's a thimble. Hair. I'm <laughs> a thimble. <laughs> wow! Wow! that's a good one that is good that's good for our listeners and our viewers a q-tip is someone who has white hair a thimble is our co-host the bull um but yeah no uh i after going to uh one of those conferences i thought it would be a good uh a good episode to talk about um you know the uh Enlightenment principles. I know that Bull and I have talked about this uh, in a few different episodes. One of them was about Benjamin Franklin. Benji. Um, the original I Benji. think there was one about toxic positivity too oh, a long yeah. time ago. I remember that. Um, and you know, just for individuals kind of tuning in when it comes to what is like the enlightenment, you know, where does that come from? Uh, the enlightenment actually grew out of the scientific revolution um, and was a cultural and intellectual movement that occurred in Europe in the late 17th and mid 18th centuries, uh, specifically in the United Kingdom, France and Germany. Um, there are a few different paradigms associated with the enlightenment that differ from ages before. Uh, one of them, I believe is more of a strived ideology of thinking um, you know, um, utilizing one's noggin and we'll dive into that, uh, pretty in depth today. Um, but you know, humanity during the enlightenment began to explain much of the natural phenomena that the world, uh, was going through when it came to, uh, you know, current events and science and all that jazz. Um, we started to use scientific reasoning, uh, reasoning generally, observation and experimentation. Um, all those physical activities complementary to the overall enlightenment thinking. Um, the enlightenment represented a break with the obscure 
yeah, obscurantist, obscurantist. We're interesting. Uh, superstitious and tyrannical traditions of the medieval past. So we started embracing human reason and knowledge as the only way to dispel ignorance. Hmm. Um, thus began society's dive into the explanation of human behavior, society, and scientific institutions. I became uh, a weird history buff there. Mm. Well, you know, it, it's interesting to me because the, the term enlightenment itself is, I'm not sure of the derivation, of the original derivation of that, but, you know, it came shortly after the quote-unquote Dark Ages, right? And Did those happen future episodes? Well, the, the question mm. is... You know why? You know we have to name everything. We talk in this on this podcast a lot about uh, generational differences, and I think there's a lot, a lot more to unpack about those. Especially since at least one of the individuals here seems to to really despise all but a few of us in one particular generation. I think he's but talking about you. I must be have. A Q-tip bias. Yes, I am discriminatory. I'm yes, just kidding. No, I, I'm not. Well, <laughs> and there are reasons behind all that, but I, I think that these things are are extended periods of time that gather, you know, from historical view of them, what it was like um, for the masses, mm-hmm. right? And the the Dark Ages. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, overtones or undertones or actually I think overtones is the right way to put it because it, everything was overridden by special doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. So everything had to be done a certain way. And if you thought outside that box, it, it, this, this is aside from all the plague stuff that was happening. I'm talking about the, the nature of the uh, powerful uh, toward the rest of us, mm-hmm. right? And I think there probably were a lot of people that were on the edge of being free thinkers. I think that throughout history, there's always been people ready. If there wasn't, nothing would ever change. We'd still be the way we were thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. But there's always been people to think out of the box, people to think about things that are greater than themselves and how to move civilization forward. But there's a suppression that occurs. And the Enlightenment kind of reversed that for a while and said, okay, these these reins, these chains are being taken off of the populace. And now let's not only think about the future and try to grow into it, but let's unleash the power of all these new eye-opening technologies and understandings that are being developed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, per my brief mention of our, our recent episodes, uh, go and listen to them if you haven't. Do it right now. Um, when it comes to... Do it know, after listening to this one. Yeah, listen to this one first. Finish listening to this one. Go back to the one we just mentioned that was before this one, and then listen to the other ones. Um, but uh, yeah, so just on a side note, I know we, we mentioned that positivity, toxic positivity, and I just want to clarify for our listeners, to be positive is not to be an optimist, um, and to be cynic, to be a cynic is not to be a realist. Uh, I think those things are conflated um, in society. I think that people tend to bring this very um, interesting view on what they believe to be optimism and realism and then mix it up with what is considered to be positivity, which would be considered like Pollyanna type stuff. Um, and then realism, which would be considered uh, in today's society, cynicism. Um, I think we ought to, we ought to pause on this element for a minute on both mm-hmm. sides of that, because, you know, throughout my history and, and I think back on business stuff a, a lot because you're put in position in life, you know, the audience out there, every one of us can think of times throughout our lives that we've been put in positions uh, to do things that we really is way out of our comfort zone to do. 
to do things that that um, obligate us to other people, to do things that are to sustain a certain way of life, to do things for others that are important to us, et cetera, et cetera. And we put ourselves in a position that is risk. If you're risk adverse, you find a way to curl up in a ball and start sucking your thumb, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people will fall into that arena and do that. Others will not. Others will overcome whatever is, is keeping them from doing those things. And one of the best ways to do that is to pour more optimism into you than the negative surrounding you. And I think that's one of the the elements of what we're talking about. We can talk about realism, optimism, Pollyanna, skepticism, being a critic versus being an, being a cynic and all those kinds of things. But the, the reality is, is life comes at us at a million miles an hour. We've talked about this through a lot of podcasts as well, that we are inundated all the time with all of this information, just overwhelming us, buy this, do that, look this way, don't look that way. Look, you know, all we can talk about a million things. But the reality is, is almost all of them have negative connotations. Mm. They're forcing us to look to become something other than ourselves. Do you think that that is and, innately human nature? Do you think that's a socially imposed? I think there might thinking? be some human nature involved in that, mm. certainly. But I think that from a from an environment that is a pseudo capitalist environment, the the spread of fear of loss, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out Mm -hmm. is more effective than some positive type of uh, reference. Yeah. I would agree with that. I'm sorry, what? No, I was just saying I would agree with that. So, so my whole point of this, and there's a lot of different trails we could run down there, but my whole point of this is that if we're inundated circumstantially with all these negative influences, then one of the best things I think people can do for themselves is come up with ways to to balance that or dilute that negative with positive. And that sometimes comes off as people that are unrealistically positive and Pollyanna and well, things like that. The reason I brought up Pollyanna is because it's a synonym with positivity, but it's not a synonym synonym with optimism. It's not. And I looked this I looked these things up because I wanted to see if there was a differential, like if positive led to being an optimist synonym wise and it both of them are not in the same category. So, you know a negative optimist? No, I mean in the sense that if I looked up positivity and I looked up optimism, you'd think they'd be synonyms of each other. They're not. They're so, associative for sure. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're complementary, but they're, they're not, um, they don't mean the same thing. So I didn't include this in the notes, but positivity actually is a synonym of like cocksure, arrogant, um, overly confident, like there, there's a lot of negative connotations, as you really? mentioned, interestingly enough. Um, but an optimist by definition is someone who usually expects a favorable outcome. Um, and then on the side of the realist, and this is why I would identify as being a realistic optimist, um, is someone who is inclined to literal truth and pragmatism. So I'm realistic first and optimistic second, which I think people need to kind of reel it back in because people there's this this common thing of like, oh, got to be positive, positive vibes. This is good vibes only. Got to have a positive, safe space. Fine. You want to live in a world like that? That's fine. But you're never going to have any forms of criticism. You're never going to have any forms of outside thought. It's going to be a very closed off, comfortable, eventually old pillow. Well, wouldn't you? um, So if you're somebody who like an unrealistic optimist right like everything's great everything's fine well that's not an optimist though you know well right but what i'm saying is like wouldn't a better way to be looking at it be okay 
So something did not go favorably Mm -hmm. or, or not in my favor. But if you're someone who looks at that and says, but I can react to this in a way and there's a reason that I can make this favorable as in this didn't happen, but now I can turn my, my direction and, and figure out a way to make that favorable. That's looking for the silver lining as well. Well, right. Or, or understanding that sometimes things are completely out of your control. Mm. And, and I think that that's what optimism lies with. I think there needs to be a controlled measure because if you're overly optimist, which is an overtly optimist person would be considered in some ways naive a Pollyanna, right? Just like an overtly realistic person, according to social standards, might be considered a cynic at the worst extent. So my, my thing, you know, the reason I differentiate this for our listeners and our viewers is because enlightenment principles, they tie into these things. Um, and you know, the, the society we live in today is actually a stem of that type of ideology taken to in a lot of ways it's um logical and in some ways illogical extreme um properly controlled optimism can actually trend into healthy idealism um optimists can become visionaries transcendentalists and dreamers i tend to think that these things are complementary as opposed to one in the same so it's almost like a stepping stone. So someone who chooses to be an optimist can become a visionary, can have transcendental, transcendental, I don't know why that word's hard for me today, um, uh, ideas, they can dream about things. But if it's taken to the logical extreme, then they think something is absolute for them. It's an absolute, for, does that make sense? Like an absolute version. So this, you know, a lot of what we're talking about comes down to something we've we've reiterated over time in a lot of different <clears throat> podcasts is the emotional versus logical kind of mm-hmm contrast that, that occurs and in everybody that's ever listened to me talk knows i'm i try to gauge things in a logical manner yeah and i often get upset with myself over that because i see people that that go into uh, higher levels of whatever industry or whatever thing they're trying to do because they take a more emotional aggressive tact at that and then i, I think about the scientific nature behind this and you can go down and, and talk about working out uh, for instance, in, in, in what is what is there's there's positive things that occur physiologically when you work out. Endorphins are released, things like and it's in virtually the same thing happens when you're surrounded or inundated by an overly positive atmosphere. Those same kinds of things can physiologically happen to you. Now, is that yeah. a is that a net positive? You love to say net negative, net positive. I, I don't know where I lie on this, um, you know, spectrum, if you will. But. Well, I, I think well here's because because again, I, I, I let's try and tr- trend away from using like positive uh, as a descriptor because um, because I, I think it's it's kind of like the well, what I mean is if so if if you're being positive, like. There, there's the the synonyms of that are undeniable. Well, I, and that's I, an, I know what you're saying, but yeah. it's like the little boy that came home from school, right? And he, he goes, Dad, I'm, I'm afraid to flunk the arithmetic test. I have no idea where you're going with this. And he, and he goes, oh, son, I'm sorry to hear that, but that's, man, you're being very negative. Why are you being so negative? He goes, all right, Dad, I'm positive I flunked the arithmetic test. <laughs> You know, it's 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 all in the way you look at these kind of things. Right? Yeah, but just to avoid confusion, I think it would be good to um, let's let's con- let's use like positive atmosphere as more of like an uh, I would say like well actually you know what no people will be able to differentiate I don't know what I'm doing here like it's fine it's yeah, fine yeah. I get what you're saying yeah. um, and and I, I think that the listeners and, and viewers know as well um, p- 
positivity, if taken to the logical extreme, is negative. Optimism is somewhere in between. Realism, taken to the logical extreme, is cynicism. Actual realism, being a realist, is somewhere in between. So there's a window. There's a window. Um, now, <laughs> Got flashcards I can use? Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, properly controlled realists actually are considered rationalists. Um, and in contradiction to the commercial that we had a few min- minutes ago by Wolf and Wolf Enterprises, um, realism can include aspirations for big dreams, goals, and the control of one's destiny. Um, after all, some of the world's most poignant thinkers engaged in realistic optimism during the Enlightenment, even though their thinking may not have been coined that at the time. So when it comes to people like Immanuel Kant, Voltaire, uh, John Locke, uh, which all we'll talk about in a few minutes, they all engaged in a realistic understanding of things. Now, granted, at that time, prior to the Enlightenment, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of authoritarian type of ideology. There was a lot of hyper-religious ideology and i'm going to connotate and differentiate between those things because i don't think specifically on the theological side of things i don't think all of that's negative um but i do think that there's division this uh this breaking off from that type of thinking was poignant, not only for the people that lived at that time but for people who live today and i think that it would be beneficial for all of us to kind of go back to our roots with a little bit of a grain of salt because these individuals also had some views that are not acceptable today um, as people of their time often do. See, most people that break down um, into little component parts, things that they're trying to understand mm-hmm. are end up being called rationalists and yeah. realists and things along those names. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I fit into that category a lot. Um, but when you take that person and they break down the components of an optimist, why do you think they do that? Are they trying to break down optimism for the sake of understanding it? Or are they trying to break it apart for the sake of pointing at it and saying that's the wrong thing? Well, I think that the reason people break it down is because there's a conflation of optimism and positivity or semantics here though it's not semantics though they're two definitionally different terms so it is semantics words okay yes well yes but i still think it's poignant in one's mind so if i if i think of optimism as someone who's naive then obviously i'm going to criticize them like wow you're being silly like you look at the numbers correct which is common Mm -hmm. in sciences it's common in the medical industry which I think is detrimental. And the reason I say that is because there's, there's an, there's a knee jerk reaction on behalf of not only those institutions, but then by proxy and down river, I almost said down line, down river, down river river (laughs) of, of us would be, uh, would be that cynicism as well. It all trickles down. So I think you make a very good point here because I think about, I'm, I'm the reason I brought this up the way I did, and I'm sorry to interrupt you just there, but is that these things are, they're floating in the air. We're talking about these things as if they're little tangible components of some larger thing. Mm-hmm. When they're what they really are is uh, um, not explanations, but they're exposures of people's inner personalities, mm-hmm. inner feelings, inner emotionals, the spectrum, etc. And we we all know a, a number of scientists and, and teachers and professors and things like that. And I know enough of them to know the very, the, the ones that are the, the quote unquote, the, 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 the elites that feel like they're the smartest people in any room. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell you that. And then I know a couple of people that are kind of the smartest people in the room all the time, but they're, they have this, this talent. And I don't believe it's faked that 
allows them optimistically to share their expertise. Mm -hmm. Those people are never criticized Mm -hmm. for their elite knowledge or their, their expertise. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of like these, some of these names you mentioned, Mm. some of these people are probably looked looked upon as, Oh, this guy was a prick. You know, this guy was a no and others. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, I think, uh, I think whether society looks back on someone as being, positive or an optimist, I would say probably to utilize the term, whether someone was looked back at as an optimist or a realist, because those are both ways of existing as a human. They're, they're, they're designations as one person, according to the definitions as one who does this, um, as opposed to positive being an outbreak of that optimism. Um, ow, there goes my elbow. Um, but, uh, I don't think, are you happy about that or you realistically Um, think you broke it, but, uh, it's probably broken. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I don't think that that really matters when it comes to historical backgrounds, because we look at what we should look at what people do. We should bring that back. Looking at what people do as opposed to how they were, how they act now, how they were and how they acted at that time leads to what they eventually do because, you know, you're thinking and all that type of stuff leads to action. Um, but I do think for those listening and those alive today, because these people are not alive today, um, it's important to understand that taking on the helm of someone who is an optimist or a realist can be beneficial if it's a healthy version of those things. So when it comes to, you know, mentioning, uh, you know, the sciences or, or the medical industry, I think the main issue with that and the reason I have a criticism of it is that it, it, holds these industries back from the very open-mindedness that they claim to profess to have claim to profess they profess to have so you can't criticize an idea that you agree with to the point of you know bastardizing it um, and then claim to be open-minded you have to be able to see some level of credence in everything even if you think it's incorrect Um, that's what thinking logic that's what all that ties into um now granted some ideas are bad some of them are we that's how you determine we have to have this we have to have some rules guys um uh, even though we, it would be interesting to have no rules um but probably terrible but there has to be some level of rules and and that's where i think enlightenment principles bring us back to this kind of grounded area where we should be that would you know shoot us forward uh, you know, as a you society there's a, you notice there's the thread there's several different threads, but there's a, a particular thread through many of these podcasts that comes back to this idea of it. And it's a first amendment kind of this open mindedness mm. kind of thinking and the closure of certain people against being open minded because of their certainty about their, their rightness about whatever the subject is we're talking about. Mm. And it, it surfaces over and over and over and over again. And I, I don't know really where it comes from. There's a, there's a decided difference, I feel like, today than there was back when I was you guys' age on people's ability to be open, to be in. There's, people were certain about things, but they were certain about them with the door at least partially open. And as you like to say, people close the door behind them all the time. They make up their minds on something, and then it becomes all black and white when... That's absolutely never the case. Um, I don't. Well, obviously, I wasn't alive back then, so I can't say that I know. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's that much different. I think the the and we've talked about this in almost every episode now because it's just a common theme of existence. I think 
information, overload of information, and how fast we get information drowns out people's ability to be actually be open to things. Um, it takes time to think. It takes time to process. Like I also think social media is like the new diary, right? Yeah. So everything that people maybe used to write in a journal that they'd keep on their bedside table that no one ever read except themselves, if they even read it back again, is now just broadcast the second... Like, you know, if someone if you're someone who uses Twitter regularly and you have a thought about something, the whole point of Twitter is to, you know, write it down and send it out and it'll always be there. You know, most things are archived these days, too. So if someone really wants to find something, they can find it. And I think that's the that that I think that's why it seems so starkly different from what you You were talking about. you, You make an interesting point there when you talk about writing things down, when you talk about diary and now everything has to be out there in the ether so quickly that there's usually a lot less thought involved with that. When you had to write something down, you had to piece it together. You had to think about it. You had to understand it. I, I remember when I was young, as a, when I was a kid, I used to get out legal yellow paper with real small legal lines on it. And, that, and I would write everything out, even though I knew how to type. Of course, I had to type on a you don't even know what I'm talking about when I do that. Type right? tink. Tink. Yeah, exactly. Tink. I had to put tink, it on tink, tink, tink. and put it into stone. Tink, tink, exactly. Tink. Well, oh, shalt not. Yeah. Uh, but, you, know, uh, <laughs> you went to the Bible and I went to Gandalf. I was going to say, I was, <laughs> well, you, know, you read. Sorry, I'm watching, I'm watching the, the rings show. Yeah, good for uh, you. Overproduced Amazon. Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. Everything's pretty, but the story's like a stale but, bread. Well, have you ever have you ever written or excuse me, read anything like Marcel Proust or some of those people from, you know, hundred and fifty years ago, two hundred years ago and the way I mean the, the good ones. I mean not the not the uh, What are the bad ones? Yeah, what are the bad ones? When I see when I was I should say because you <laughs> I've got some very old books and in articles and things from 1850s, 1860s, and I've got a couple of them that are like straight out of these little pamphlets. Mm. And they were written specifically in pamphlets to the point you're making. They were written specifically for an audience that does not uh, have the, the the desire to read a 400-page novel, right? They were written... Are you to, saying that you have the Declaration of Independence? Well, we have to get out some lemons and squeeze them properly with some yeah. heat applied, yeah. you know. Well, to, 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 to what you're saying, I think I think that there are like amazing writers out there and people who summarize things beautifully or concise. Mm-hmm. However, I also think we live in a world that with social media in particular or like, you know, the most popular social media app on the planet right now, it it rewards you with an algorithm for hot takes and you go viral. Anyone can go viral well, for, on forget, some hot Forget the social the media part of it. I'm talking about the understanding part of it. Well, well what, and wouldn't, what's, wouldn't what's the famous thing you would use that? if you didn't want to get a textbook what? or, or a, another, book? what would you buy if you're in university and forget Google for a minute. If you like have a newspaper, no, no. Spark notes, right? Oh, oh so yes. in, in, because it's a summary, it's a quick summary of something that you want to learn And nowadays, you know, your generation and the younger generations, they want to learn a lot. Mm. Unlike your notes, you, you dive into this stuff mm. in depth, which is great. And I think you're it's looking sound bites. You, you have to keep attention. Sound, sound bites get as much information. It's, it's well, the, it's the time of headlines. I think. Well, here's, here's the thing is before sound bites, there were quotes, right? 
So, you know, you have someone who's a prominent thinker, a philosopher, and they'd say something and people would write it down and be like, oh, my God, let's think about that. And we still um, use quotes. And well, we use quotes now, but the quotes are not as thought about because you said we want to learn. I agree, but I don't think we want to learn in the same way. I think it's kind of my plagiarized yeah. now. Well, it's not even it's not about plagiarism. <laughs> I think it more or less comes down to the fact that there was a point in time, at least when I was a kid and I still have this because. I am a nerd um, where I like to read. I like reading things. I like actually holding the book, reading through the pages and sometimes going back, depending on what I'm reading. Like maybe, hey, maybe you are a baby in, boomer into the universe. Stephen Hawking made me I read a page like a three Kindle times guy? in a row. No, I hate that. Like I don't, I like touching the book, smelling the book, rubbing the book on my body, <laughs> sleeping next to the book, maybe taking the book out to dinner breaking up with a book Looks saying like I have it's to be me not about you some, book some books sorry book it's me not you we're done don't call me anymore book um but like there's there's points like where i want that but i don't necessarily know if the generation that i'm a part of or the generation after us has that did you ever so leave the book and stop texting it uh no i would take photos of the book as it slept um well i mean yeah. it's pockets right it's it's all perception there is there's like a huge community uh, called again Book talk. Yeah. It's on but, TikTok. They're all about the books. Yeah, but it's book talk. So the question is how many of those individuals actually pick up a book? Not saying they don't. A, a lot of them, I'm sure. I'd love to see I that. I think if it's they have all numbers, just perception cool. of what is being promoted in culture. I Maybe. mean, I, I think people still a, read. They still read books. Well, there's a reason why I think places like Barnes and Noble, though, are not doing as well as they used to do. So, so. Well, that's because Amazon's selling all the books. Well, how many? Well, here's a question about books. Uh, then we're going to the book thing. We talked about Hatchet's last show, and now we're talking about the book. We're talking about the book economy. That's what the show is about. No, my, my whole point is I, I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying like that, like people hate reading. Like this is not 1930s Germany. Okay. Like people like reading. Um, it's just a matter of do they like doing the same type of thinking as the bulls generation did? Because I think there's a variance and there's a deviation in thought process there. Well, well, we also have things like really intense, intricate video games now and, and movies and people will binge watch 10 episodes of one thing on a streaming service, mm -hmm. which would be as long as reading some books that are pretty short mm -hmm. and their stories and they think about them and they go on YouTube and they, they do 20 minute think pieces or hour long think pieces on them and millions of people watch them. So I guess it's just how we're digesting the information and not necessarily about if we're consuming it, it's how. Yeah, I, I think the benefits between watching someone talk to you and reading a book are, are different. I don't think that they're they're negative or positive. I think that just they're just different mediums. Um, it's kind of like listening. Like I'm an I'm a, a, a auditory learner. So like I like when I played music when I was younger, I could listen to something and play it back. Um, and when it comes to this type of stuff, I like listening to things. Some people are not like that. In fact, the vast majority of pop the society the society society is not like that. So I, I guess my observation is just merely I think the mediums are different. I think. To Bull's point, it's probably correct. There's probably a little bit of a deviation in what we determine to be useful type of thought or useful type of thinking um, as opposed to what is today. Because when you say there's a headline, headline doesn't tell you anything. A headline is a lazy man's shallow version, just like a hot take is, of a quote. Everyone wants to be able to quote themselves these days. Why? If, you, if, you're, if your hot take is what you're going to be remembered as, that's kind of a doesn't, doesn't kind of a bummer, uh, isn't it? Doesn't reading fifty headlines 
instead of two articles give you a broader sense of whatever it is you're you may not know in depth any of those 50 items mm-hmm. which is is the downside of what we're talking about yeah but you have a breadth of information that you know about yeah but and it, in our social society today it's kind of i think the more important element it depends um i think you're right i think you're 85 percent right there i think the 15 percent no, is the I'm fact 100% that 100 right 60 percent of the time well that's both of us to go together i take it down like you're 80 percent right 20 percent of the time and i'm wait <laughs> you took one of us down there wait i'm 10 I'm percent right 90 percent of the time um but uh I, I guess my my whole thing with that though is that i i think that you're correct in the sense that it gives you a broader breadth of I guess information, but the information's about that deep. But I, mean, I think that's my point. The the yeah. society we live in, unless you specifically focus in on wanting to get deep understanding on certain things, mm. and you have the ability, like no other generation, to be able to do that now. But most people don't want that. I mean, we talked about books a second ago, and and I know we're we're sliding mm. away from topics, but that's yeah. part of what we do anyway. But most people after high school. Don't read anything. Yeah. And so, I mean anything. So you have to think about the impact that has on society. If you stop reading after high school and you graduated in 1976, how outdated are you on information? Just like if you stopped reading it uh, after high school in 2011. I mean, well, I'm not just saying. How much are they reading on like well, but yeah, but, Reddit or, but yeah, but, or Twitter? But or, perusing is not like reading. Like, like here's the thing. You'll go on Twitter, you'll go on Reddit, and then you'll switch tabs. You go to Instagram and look at a photo or a video, and then you'll switch back. You're distracting yourself. Well, like it, some people read full books, but they're being distracted some, all the time. Not most, some. So, so I, I guess like my position on this, and you're you could be right. I'm not saying that you're incorrect. I'm just saying my position is probably less than we think. Um, and when it comes to you know the enlightenment and generally thinking, in my opinion, I think it, there is credence in having a moment, either once a week or throughout the day, where you have a few minutes of just thought. Whether it's just you thinking of what you want to do or you thinking of something you want to accomplish or you thinking about a book that you read or you're thinking about an article that you read. Um, all those things are beneficial because it gives you time to actually process what you're ingesting. I don't think most people do that anymore. Reels doesn't give you enough time to do that intentionally. It does not give you enough time to process. Just like YouTube doesn't give you enough time to process. These things, like the human brain is, is advanced, but it's not it's not uh, all powerful. I mean, we, we have a limit. Um you know what? Our brains are made to to take data in and form patterns and, and create connections. To and, process and, it. To, yes. So if you have one bit of information coming into you for a few seconds that does is that's showing, uh, you know, a, a new pair of pants, new shoes, whatever. And then you have another one that's talking about the history of the United States and another one that's talking about some political thing in Europe and another one. So you get this, this, like we talked about this breadth of information that gives you some security that, you know, at least something about what's going on at all times. But what ends up happening with these algorithms is instead of doing that, they start to focus in on what you pause on. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if, if it's the shoes using that as an example, out of the, the hundred things you scroll through that day, you see 25 diverse things and the other 75% of it is all about shoes. So yeah. what's happening in your brain is it's forming in the same kind of patterns you would if you read an in-depth article about the, the, the right type of shoe to wear. It's creating that 
pattern yeah. in a different method. In, yeah. a, in a, unfortunately, I think a poor method. Mm-hmm. But because I, I think what you engage when you actually read is you engage not just thoughtfulness, but you engage your imagination. Yeah. And you engage your ability to actually understand instead of just hear. Well, and self-talk, inner voice type All stuff. All that kind yeah. of stuff. Which is, 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 as far as I understand, beneficial. I mean, it's beneficial for you to do that. I guess the, the, the best way I can think about it, um, at least when it comes to on this final thing, on this segue kind of off topic topic um it, it it's kind of like when we were on the east coast and we went to uh the soft drink place mm-hmm. um they have the polar bears um there was an area where uh, yeah we went we went to their factory uh santa claus was there um there's an area where they had a bunch of scents and you'd smell all these things and just like if you're in a perfume store or if you're in a candy shop and you smell everything, eventually all the smells get conflated together into one giant smell of smells. That's why they have you smell coffee to break that up. So when it comes to I can't snap again, uh, when it comes to, you know, thinking and when it comes to taking time to, you know, uh, have you know alone time with your thoughts or to read a book or stuff like that, I think that that is a almost a version of coffee away from the nonsense that goes on. And I don't think so, people do that enough. So back to the track of, of this pod, this particular episode, mm-hmm. that self-talk, that thinking, that uh, evolving your emotions and your imagination, everything, is that better to do that on a realistic or an optimistic? I don't think they're mutually it? exclusive. I think they can go hand in hand. That's where that's where my that my hiccup is. That's kind of like when I'm talking to someone about science and theology, and there seems to be this deviation. They can both coexist. They're not contradictory. Like right. yes, there are some things on both areas where it's like, and we'll talk about this later on. There's something that if I had told you this 20 years ago, you would have laughed at me. That came out just last week, um, specifically in the science area. Um, but I think it's indicative of a bunch of different categories. Like for some reason, like it, it, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's just human nature and people struggling to be able to separate them their own emotional bias from actual subjects of thought. But it, these, these things are not all mutually exclusive. There's been plenty of scientists who had a strong religious faith. Just like there's been plenty of uh, religious individuals who have a strong scientific basis. These things can exist at the same time, just like a realist and an optimist can exist at the same time. But they are utilized at different periods. So if I'm, for example, in a sinking car and I don't open the door, if I'm sitting in the car and I think everything's gonna be fine and I don't do anything to get out of the car, then I'm an idiot. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I can't get out of the car now, if I can't get out of the car, then I'm being realistic. This is a bad situation. I need to get out of the vehicle because it's sinking and I will drown. So it's the same type of thinking. They're not mutually exclusive. They are. If you open the door before you take a breath, you're in real trouble. (laughs) Yes, that is. That is true. Um, But yeah, back to the topic. I think before we jump into the enlightenment just a little bit, I think we should talk about the prominent enlightenment thinkers. Um, Now, they were philosophers that lived roughly from 1680s to the 1820s that attempted to improve human society through reasoning Um, by applying reasoning. Uh, They contributed alternative ways of organizing government and society with ideas of the social uh, contract. Now, for our listeners, there's a few different paradigm or a few different 
points of that. Uh, number one, uh, the social contract usually involves an implicit agreement among the members of an organized society or between the governed and the government defining and limiting the rights and duties of each. Uh, it's also considered an implicit agreement of contract among, among members of society that dictates things such as submission of individuals to the rule of law and acceptable conduct. And it is also an implicit agreement among people that results in the organization of society, individual surrenders, liberty in return for protection. So obviously there are all variances there. There's all deviations, but they all kind of amount to this conglomerate, which is the social contract. Um, now enlightenment thinkers also contributed to the idea of natural rights, uh, of, or self evident truths that all men are created equal and entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness which for those of us living in America is familiar um, and in some other countries. Uh, They also introduced the separation of powers, which proved highly influential in sparking the United States uh, Revolution, the French Revolution and the Haitian Revolution. Um, So they were definitely uh, radical for Hmm. their period, to to say the least. Enlightened. Yeah. Um, Enlightened. Now, there are a few things uh, that anyone who's a history buff um, will be able to point out. Uh, the Enlightenment thinkers did have a little bit of uh, hypocritical and contradictory thoughts, um, specifically in the areas of slavery and women. Um, obviously, as I said a little bit ago, people are products of the time they live in. Um, not condoning those things, not condoning those views. Uh, but I do think that we all know better now or we should all know better now. Um, and the application of enlightenment ideas over time has actually assisted in contributing to the end of slavery and movements for more equality between races and the sexes. So I guess my whole position on this is bring back the stuff that's good, get rid of the stuff that's bad. Also, when you adapt these, these, uh, traits, it's not a flip of the coin overnight, right? Like things change over time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because you're talking about certain characters that, that you know, Kant and uh, Locke, et cetera, that, that were involved in all this. Mm-hmm. And you've said contradictory points of view. They're a product of their times, all that. Kind. We all have seen a lot of that lately, in particular, uh, demeaning our history in different ways. And the question becomes, when you look at this, the, the whole idea of enlightenment period, do you think that... 200 years ago, they called it that. You know, it was 1840-something. It was the end of it, right? During it, they weren't calling it that. No. No. They were focusing on the individuals in in raising them on pedestals mm-hmm. for their thinking and well, enlightenment. Don't you wonder and what so they're going to call this time? That's that's where I'm going with that. The depressioning. What are they going to call? The depressioning. <laughs> or what are they going to recall this period. Well, aren't we a postmodernist right now? Is that well, it doesn't matter right? what we're in right now. Yeah. What I'm saying is history dict our future dictates what we're all called eventually. Yeah. And it changes over and over. It's like we were talking about the dark ages. Mm-hmm. If you live during the dark ages, there was some bad shit happening. And from some people's points of view, it was the best time ever. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know just what I'm like, saying? I've heard many people tell me actually that twenty twenty was one of the best years of their lives. People have told me that. And, you know, from my perspective it that was wasn't good. necessarily Mine the was, best year of my life. Um, Mine was interesting. But That's but I've had people tell me like that was the year I, you know, I had all these great things happen. Yeah. And that's, you know... So that, culturally, it, you know, technically, like well, usually, the, that's not what they're they're broadcasting twenty twenty yeah, like. Right? I mean, nobody can nobody can see it when it's that close to them. 
Well, here's, yeah. here's the thing. Get out away from it. Here's the thing: is, is did, did they did they broadcast it? Probably not. But did they think it? That's the question I have. Um, now, granted, I am not a subscriber to uh, space racism. I don't believe in being able to control planets and how we're all somehow tied to the months that we were birthed. I don't believe in any any of that. But I do think that it, there is credence to having, as we discussed a little bit earlier, an optimistic view on things. Um, now, some of the people that you mentioned, uh, Immanuel Kant, for example, uh, to him, the enlightenment was human beings emergence from his self-incurred immaturity um, the abandonment of the man of a mental childhood of which he himself is guilty childhood is the inability to use reason without the guidance of another person um, mm. for our listeners uh, Kant was a arguably as considered one of the greatest philosophers of all time um, he suggested being enlightened meant learning to reason and then daring to use your full potential to think learn and understand the world around you mm-hmm. um, which I don't think a lot of people end up doing because they're too busy scrolling or he would watching be, a video he would be watching what's happening today he'd be interested he'd be shaken he'd be interested perhaps but he'd be interested to in why nobody listened to him yeah you know that's that's what you'd be saying um yeah he, I, well yeah we, maybe who knows maybe maybe the next Immanuel Kant uh, is uh, is has already been reborn like uh what's her name's child is uh, the reincarnation of uh, uh Queen Elizabeth well there are people um, today oh, that we think are yeah. absolute idiots mm. that a hundred years from now people go oh they were they were thought leaders they were thought leaders let look at the quotes that that person said yeah. or that per- you know and and this goes back to the whole tainting of our a viewpoint based on the winners in political arenas or wars or whatever mm-hmm. case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's I mean the history is written by the, by the winners. Um, and I'm just going to run through a few quotes from these other individuals. Uh, for those of you listening or watching, I would encourage you to read some of their uh, read some of their writings, uh, look them up, learn about them because it is quite interesting. Uh, another big uh, contributor to the Enlightenment was Rene Descartes. Uh, he was famous for the quote, "I think." Therefore, I am um, considered the founder of modern philosophy. And then there's John Locke. We've mentioned him. Uh, one of his quotes, being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, liberty, uh, health or possessions, which is from the second treaties of government. Um, and then finally, Voltaire, one of the greatest French writers of all time, uh, quote, I detest what you write, but I would give my life to make it possible for you to continue to write. Um, so kind of a similar, you know, theme amongst these individuals there's there's two um descartes and uh voltaire those two quotes are phenomenal in their in their width Mm -hmm. you know i think therefore i am yep i mean that defines us as human beings really and sometimes you wonder because some of our human beings that we live with you look at are you thinking at all (laughs) you know and 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 that's not meant to disparage anyone it's just that there is something broader about being alive and being human than just going along and being pushed and prodded by the the tides of circumstance yeah instead Mm -hmm. think that you will be well they're they're basically making an argument against um divine intervention uh, in a lot of ways, which uh, I, that's why I think a lot of people who are very they're very rooted in theology look at the Enlightenment as a negative. Um, in a lot of ways, there was a lot of deviation. I keep using that word, but I'm, I guess I'm going to use it throughout this episode um, uh, from the religious ideology into a scientific. There was a huge growth in secularism. Yeah. So so it was. I don't think it was necessarily bad. 
Now, I understand the argument and we'll talk about it briefly, but uh, I do think it is important to really paint out the fundamentals of the Enlightenment period so we kind of collectively understand what it actually meant. Because so far we've kind of talked about a very broad spectrum of it, but there are very specific ideals that I think are important that we haven't tapped into at least enough currently as a society. Um, Again, science, theology, all these things can coexist. I also want to preface this take these thoughts and these ideals with a grain of salt. This is not a recommendation. This is just an observational point I'm making. Uh, One of the first fundamental ideals is anthropocentrism. Anthropocentrism. That is me sounding out words. Uh, Basically, the human being is the center of its existence and is the only one who decides its future. Therefore, reason, knowledge, and free will will uh, replace faith and religiosity. Um, That is one of the prefaces of the Enlightenment. Now, granted, I don't necessarily agree with all of that because that's kind of pseudo you are your own God type thinking, but I do think there is credence there. If you do think that you are the master of your destiny to some degree, you can make decisions to actually move yourself in certain areas. That does not mean that you control everything around you. That does not mean that you control the universe as uh, a all-powerful being would. What it does mean, though, is that you can take into consideration how you operate. You can self-reflect. You can change your ways of thought, and you can actually adapt and become a different person. Um, Anthropocentrism, which is a different pronunciation, but probably just as bad. Anthropocentrism. Um, Anthropo. You yep. got to say it with a little. That, 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 you know, no, I just. That. <laughs> I tried. Any, anyway, my, my point I was going to make is I, I, I think your, your definition of that is someone that's in control of their own life versus not their own God is actually wrong. And you didn't use the word term God, but you said the center of their universe. That's exactly what they're saying. Mm-hmm. They're saying their existence is entirely based on their them being at the center of everything twirling around them in the world. Main character yeah. energy. Yes. Which, yeah, which, by the way, the main, you're the main character in that. And I'm not even saying that thinking that way from a, I mean, we all see things through our own filter. All mm-hmm. of us do. But that doesn't mean that's reality. And if you decide that's reality, then you're deciding the entire space of everything around you is based on you and you only and your perspective. So the reason why I said take this with a grain of salt is primarily because I don't agree with that preface. What I'm saying is that the viewpoint of being able to manipulate certain things from understanding that at the end of the day, we don't know for sure anything is not unhealthy. Because here's what I see. There's, I think there's it's very healthy. Well, exactly. We so, so, so my my point is there's this. There seems to be these separations in society, as you said. You are your own god type argument. I hear that all the time. People make it all the time, whether they're aware of it or not. When they say, "Oh, I spoke this into existence," you're talking into that area. Um, I don't agree with that. I don't think it should exist. And then the other end, there's a spectrum of individuals who don't believe they have any power to change anything at all. They are their own person, whether theological or not theological, and they choose to reside within that crutch of I am who I am or mm. uh, another phrase uh, I'll pray about it those are good things to do not saying you shouldn't do those things just merely making the observation that a lot of people tend to say those things and then not change mm-hmm. well I think you say those things and you draw hard lines around them then you're doing exactly what you're saying I think a lot of people you, do that and I, I don't I, I agree with you mm. I agree with you that people do that too much I think what you can control are the things that 
are under your control. Yeah. And that's the, yeah. the mistake people make. Yeah. They, they believe that their filter, that they're viewing the world through, their universe through, is since somehow affecting something outside of their own little sphere. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. So that's why I but think... But what you can do is you can affect what's going on with you. Yeah. And your position on how you view things. Yeah. Positively, negatively, optimistically, realistically, cynically, all those different things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Those are under our control. So going back to something that, that you know, I've read a million years ago, you know, um, <coughs> excuse me, you, you, if, if you have the ability to think positive about something, it's going to help you with whatever that something is better than thinking negative about it. Not that you're right or wrong, not that it's not going to hurt you or it's going to help you. It's just the better way of trying to get to where you're going to get. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? No, I, I agree with you. That's why That's why I think that this anthropocentrism, or as I would like to say, anthropocentrism, which is probably where we are, um, I, I think that there's credence there. I don't think it's an absolute truth. So I think there's a lot of interesting self-flagellation mm-hmm. going on there. Um, uh, there's also rationalism as one of the second ideals of the Enlightenment. Uh, sensible experience and human reason were erected as supreme values, uh, speaking of flagellation. Uh, so it is not possible to believe what reason does not admit. Um, this motivated anti-clerical or anti-religious feelings and thoughts, such as nihilism, agnosticism, and atheism. So that's where all of that has kind of stemmed from. But on the contrary, it also meant a rejection of human passions and everything irrational or emotional to the individual. Now, granted, I don't think that the anti aspect of religious, uh, narrative there or nihilism is good. I think that that's just a, a product of, of the situation, just like with anthropocentrism, the the product side product would be like, I am my own God type thinking. I think we should reject that type of thinking. I think that that is proven to be false, but also I think it's also a extreme of that type of thinking. Um, just like someone who is a extreme optimist would be positive or cocksure or very, arrogant. Very, very famous writer created one of his central characters using specifically rationalism mm. to define that character spock there you go mm-hmm. you knew right where i, was. I started watching all the star episodes. trek yeah. you were watching star trek no, Gene, wasn't, and no. who was the writer don't know Gene, i just know the Gene fir- roddenberry the first season only had three se- the first show only had three seasons yeah, yeah. yeah it's like an icon so mm-hmm. right? yeah um Obviously, uh, we've mentioned this before, but idealism, uh, it broke out in the Enlightenment like a plague. Um, (laughs) Basically, everything in the Enlightenment was committed to the educational and formative ideal, especially in the arts and and sciences. Uh, The quote-unquote good taste became a cultured norm that rejects the ugly, the decadent, and the wild, as well as subjects in quote-unquote bad taste, such as suicide or those linked to popular taste. So a little bit confusing there, but basically idealism is an expression of specific views that one has that are kind of prone to be more of a positive, uh, impactful type of way of thinking of things. Um, it sounds to me like they, they, they put a definition around a different um, objectification of people and mm-hmm. places and things and, so, and said, this is, this is, you know, Venus de Milo is our, you know, objectified view of the ideal female mm-hmm. form yeah okay and everything that fits that 
is idealistic and everything that is aside from that is somehow lesser. Yeah. And, and the negative is that that lesser aspect, which I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, at the same time, I, I don't necessarily think that having a, a view of something that is incorrect fundamentally as me seeing it as incorrect is a bad thing. I think that we need to have these understandings that some things are just not good and not because they they the the people associated are not good, but because that thing is detrimental. It's like a, it's like extreme, you know, usage of, of uh, paraphernalia of drugs, like extreme usage of drugs. Like if someone's just starts drinking rat poison, probably not something good for them. Probably not good for the people around them. Now, granted, I'm sure there's tons of arguments out there of people who, you know, utilize drugs recreationally and says, well, that's not what I mean. And I agree. I think that obviously there is some level of usage that can be done. This is not what we're talking about, but my point is still being made is that there needs to be measure your rat poison. There needs to be lines and we keep doing this like kind of we keep just expanding. Lines are always pushed and prodded. But we're going to a point where, you know, this this goes back to our our last our last episode. Mm -hmm. We could we could move that discussion into this one Mm -hmm. and almost any of them because we use that. We call it an Overton window. We can call it a million different things, but we use that sliding scale that venn diagram however you want to define it in every single thing we do and we mold and move that acceptable spot that acceptable window in every generation in every year in every science in every religion in i mean that that's we go from simple to complex as human beings and the only thing that ever seems to stop us is some kind of apocalyptic event yeah, to reset everything, and that's what I'm afraid we're we're well, running after. Well, let's, let's save that for another episode because that's a whole other conversation yeah, which we're working on. The um, tad- tangents are yeah. getting deeper. I deeper. thought about that after I almost OD'd. On you've had place. you've had too many tangelos today. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, then finally the fourth uh, ideal is universalism. Uh, the Enlightenment was a movement inspired by the three maxims of the French Revolution: liberty, equality, and fraternity. Um, according to which all humans would be identical and deserve the same rights. Uh, this equalizing principle supposes a certain degree of cosmo- cosmopolitan- cosmopolitanism um, and universalism based on an objectifying and generalizing conception of culture and societies. This paradoxically, paradoxically meant imposing the Greco-Roman last on any type of human imagination. So it, very interesting ideals. I'm not saying that we should bring it's them utopia. all back. Well, we shouldn't bring them all back to their logical extremes, but we should have their influence a little bit more acknowledged in my opinion because i think things are getting a little wild things are getting a little hairy we're getting to an area where people are either exactly one way or exactly the other and as we've discussed before the middle is normally the safest place to be um so why does this matter before we jump into another tangent uh i think it matters for a lot of reasons um and maybe this is just me getting older Uh, Maybe I'm just becoming a more wise individual, but I've noticed less and less consideration of ideas outside of the quote unquote lane that the universal we tend to reside within. Um, If it's popular, popular to believe that science is an absolute unquestioned imposition of opinion and bias, then that is what the group aligns with. If it is popular to believe that everything happens for a reason, that everything is a battle between what is good and what is evil. 
Uh, then that is what the group aligns with. If it is popular to believe that everything is coming to an end, that humanity is doomed, that the end times are here, that our planet will be destroyed by a black hole caused by the Large Hadron Collider or an asteroid or an unforeseen world event that we can't mention, uh, or by Jesus coming back, then the group believes it. All these groups suffer from the same problem. Someone else is telling them what to think how to think, and any deviation from that group's quote-unquote normative way of thinking is considered negative. The, the challenge I have with a lot of this is why can't all that stuff coexist on a, 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 a platform that allows it instead of directs the energy in a negative manner? Because, you know, siloed opinions, everybody's had them, everybody's always had them. I mean, you know, the, the using religion as an example, the early Christians who weren't called that, they were called the Church of Christ at the time, those original churches out there, um, they were about as radical as you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to die mm-hmm. in every gruesome manner humanly thought of to, to uh, you know, uphold their, their belief. Their belief that was the biggest leap of faith ever in the history of any religion. Because most religions have come out of history and philosophy and turned into something more. And the again, all these diverse opinions, let people have them. Mm-hmm. Everybody should have them. Descartes said that in his, his quote. Mm-hmm. I def- he basically just said, I defend your right to... To write well, Voltaire, to Voltaire, my death, Voltaire, Voltaire. Yeah. Voltaire said. Um, but, well, no, and I, I agree. I think that's why I think pointing that out is is poignant because if I can deviate from our group's form of thought, then we're in a free society. Mm-hmm. If I can sit down with you and I can have a conversation and we're talking about theology and I say, well, I don't agree with that. Why? 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 Until the point where you say, I don't know. That's what it is. And that should be allowed. I don't think that that's allowed anywhere today. And I don't mean in the sense of some group coming down and even though to some degree there is in social media, some group coming down and forcing and imposing ideals on people. I mean, in the sense of just general group think like if I sit down with someone and I listen to someone on a bully pulpit, whether they're on a stage talking about theology or they're at a TED talk talking about how they have 14 different, you know, tools down there, I, I can't disagree with them. Then that's a problem. Even if it, so do you think that's really a group thing or do you think yeah. it's being intentionally done to, you know, herd us, Mm-mm. herd us I, I think into the appropriate that was channels? That a good bull pun. Uh, Thank you. Bull pun. Um, uh, uh, bull, bully pun pit. Bully. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I think it's human nature. I think we've talked I, about this. I definitely think that. I don't think, but, I think in some ways there's a herding. Um, but I don't think it's to the degree of the extreme that I'm describing. I think that they're in, like if I walk into a country concert and I wear certain things, I'm not welcome there. Just like if I walk into a, a riot somewhere that happens to be talking about something that I don't support and I don't support conformity it. Here is what so, you're talking which about. is group think, which eventually Good. goes to group shift. Yeah. So I think the problem is those things only originate because people aren't thinking. They get in a group and they just, oh, I'm just going to do what the group says. Well, but, but if you're in that group intentionally mm-hmm. and your intent is not to be uh, controversial within that group, mm-hmm. then you're going there specific. But, the country music thing is a perfect friend. You're, you're intentionally going there to participate. 
Yeah. So why would you not participate at the level that allows you to get the but, full experience? But I don't think being a part of a group's utilizing maybe just a generalized group. Cause I think that's a very specific example. Um, I don't think, uh, being a part of a group automatically equates to conformity of thought. No, it does. It does not. What happens today? But we had this discussion last time where you have a city and it turns into all these smaller groups that, mm-hmm. that uh, relate up to the city and they're all part of the same city. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the same thing again. Well, here. similar, it, but I, I think the problem that I guess I'm getting at through multiple episodes is it, if I sit down with you and we have a disagreement, which we do all the time, we do all the time. We're still friends. We're still family. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we can coexist. The problem right now is there seems to be a monolith of thought. And I've noticed this group think culture and group shift culture, specifically in corporate America, by the way, which but that's, that's in, what I'm asking. In, though. Is that being, is that well, really natural? I, think I do think it's natural. Predilection is natural. Well, I think the predilection is natural, and then it's cultivated through high school. It's cultivated through middle school, elementary school, all the way up through college. So I think it's. Which I think is, we're being herded. We're being cult, yeah, herded but, into yeah, directions yeah, on purpose. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. I, I don't really know. Do. I, well, here's the thing: is that I think that trends. I'm obviously on the topic of conspiracies. That trends no, it's, way it's into not, conspiracy. No, I'm land. not. I think I, it does. I know you're not trying to. I'm not that, even saying it's because of some uh, nefarious. Uh, world beating agenda. I'm not even saying that. I, it's I'm part saying of the social that, contract. Maybe is well, that what you're getting at? Maybe, but it's also part of how, how do you in our society and in when you have these big monolithic, I, whatever you want to say about Facebook, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say about uh, um, Apple and Disney and all these, you know what they actually are? They're governments. They're, they're basically these large, Especially prolific, powerful entities that mm-hmm. dictate in a push-down method uh, amongst their associative groups, amongst the people they own, amongst the people they employ, all those kinds of things. That's what they are. They're many forms of these larger things that we point at all the time and yell about all the time. They're just smaller versions of the same, mm. but they're not that small anymore. They're, they're, I mean, their, their GDP, their, their revenue is larger than most countries. So uh, to your point, I do think there's, I'll adjust. I think there's a, a soft hurting going on, um, that is getting consistently stronger as time goes on because those monopolies, which is what they are, they're legal monopolies. We've talked about this in other episodes. Um, only 15 billionaires own, own all, almost all the country, all, all the countries, all, well, kind yeah, of, kind all, of almost all the companies. Um, and that's not fair. But again, I think it's becoming a stronger hurting because stuff like the enlightenment type thinking, even though there is some, you know, rigid nature about it when it comes to personal belief and some of the ideals, that type of stuff breaks the mold because it gets people to actually consider what they're actually doing, what they actually engage in when you're scrolling consistently or when you're watching the TV um, or when you're, you're on a video game on of God in a video game or in the metaverse or whatever you wanted to say, even in a book, that thing is taking all of your attention. And the difference, I guess when it comes to a book is I can pause and I can think about what I'm reading. And if I don't like it, I can close the book. If I'm watching a TV and I don't like something, I can change the channel to, what is again on the TV? You're just switching back to the same thing. Or you so can just turn it off. You could, but how often do people do that? I mean, look at the data on how often people spend in front of the screen. You look at it on your phone. 
I mean, there's a reason why that's the case. It's like a, it's like a, a it, you know, a, what what is it? It bugs to a light. Is a terrible and a, a terrible descriptor, but it's accurate. I mean, you turn the light off and the bug will fly away, but you turn it back on, it and goes so, back. So then, going back to my point, ask yourself, you know, you, you know, you guys don't have a bug zapper. We do. But why do we have one? Because you have bugs. Because you're terrible bug killing. Because we know. Murderer. <laughs> that bugs are attracted to it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would be something else. Yeah. And so that is that is what I'm talking about. It's a form of, I'm using the term herd. That's probably not the appropriate term. It's the only term you know. It's okay. The, when you're, when you're, Bovine. When you're the bull, yeah. that's the one you think about. But that, How much trauma is associated with that? Are you okay? Uh, yeah, we don't want to get into my trauma. Gotcha. Okay. Too much trauma is. Should dive into the creation. He's a of, trauma queen. <laughs> Wow. Damn. Man, you are getting out competed wow. today. Getting I, out competed. Have to, okay. okay. No, quantity. It's I'm not have quality over quantity. Those are a couple of real quality ones. Uh-huh. That was quick and that was on the move. That yeah. was your, yeah. your, well, we're related. So I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll take credit for part of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's a level of hurting. Um, I don't know to what degree and I don't know the if there's a nefarious a, nature. The question is the hurting See, see now that now it's quality Forced over quantity. Me. Yeah, no, that was that, that was, was just a, a, it was a valiant yourself. effort on your part. That was that was yeah. 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 He brought it brought it down <laughs> the curve. That's an outlier to that. Well, I'm part um, of the bell curve. I'm just the bull curve. Yeah. Um, yeah so oh, the uh, damn. Yeah, <laughs> the, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> drops them. Just turns the mic off. Walks away. Uh, so the Enlightenment relied, as we said, uh, heavily upon reasoning and logic. Uh, reasoning for our listeners is the process of thinking during which an individual is aware of a problem identifies evaluates and decides upon a solution Uh, reasoning is a stepwise thinking with a purpose or goal in mind it is highly purposeful controlled and selective in its thinking Uh, all of those are tied to uh, with you guessed it generalized thinking yay Um, what happens though when thinking is left out of the equation Uh, as a second ago uh, we were talking about that i think it has been in a lot of ways Uh, when we decide unilaterally by virtue of whatever group we prescribe to be a part of and that group states uh and whatever that group states uh, must be true what happens when we just throw our thinking out the window you can see the result in literally any group from religion to the sciences from men to women even amongst the ever popular sexual identity groups Uh, open-mindedness becomes an exclusive right only held by the accepted side Uh, i.e. the popular kids, the popular topic, the supposedly correct narrative. Uh, When thinking leaves, everyone is subjected to ignorance. Mm. And I think that is my big protest of the year. Everybody that you and I would define as in this category Mm -hmm. of of this group think or these, these different identities you're talking about would tell you and really believe that they're open-minded. Well, and that's why factions but, are a problem. Well, I think the truth is, is that from their perspective, going back to the hippocampus centrism or whatever the hell you called it, um, is is that, come on, give me a little. Just a I chuckle. laughed. That was, no, was no? yeah. I, yeah. I, I it's like not about, out through my nose a little it, bit. It's, it's, the scientists out there are laughing. My eyes laughed. Because they said hippocampus. Yeah, my eyes laughed a little bit. No, I got it. Anyway, yeah. anyway um, it, what was the hell was I thinking? I don't know. You were focused too much on the pun. You, you, you got to go get to the point. The pun is the, no, the nice I was focused spread. on the pun until I got your, your no response. Your focus. This is why I'd be terrible on an open mic night. Yeah. I'd get up there. I'd throw one thing out. I guess you're about airline go. food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I, you know, 
the 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 I think the open mindedness in these in these groups is truly what these people believe, mm-hmm. but it's narrow. When when you and I sit here and talk in open minders, we're talking about these disparate philosophical arguments and yeah, but whether we should sell an axe to each other. Yeah, but or it's the baseline it. to just talk about it. The baseline is yeah. fine, but I, what, what I'm, I'm saying about. is if you're in one of these groups, what they do is they define that group a certain way with certain tenets. Mm-hmm. And you can be as open-minded as you want if you're within these tenets. You just can't if you go outside of it. Well, I, I, that's why I think it's so important. And I think this brings us to a side topic that leads to another side topic that's tied to this, uh, and that is Schroding, Schrodinger's cat. I cannot say the words today. Uh, for those listening and for those watching, uh, Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat is a thought experiment that illustrates the paradox of quantum superposition. Uh, in quantum physics, an atom can be excited, i.e. can have electrons in an excited state, making it unstable, and not excited or stable at the same time, um, which would be a paradox in thinking, which is why this is a, uh, a little thought experiment. Um, the atom can also be at two positions at the same time. So superposition of state applies to any quantum particle. And the interesting part about this is that when we say that the atom is measured by us, um, only one of the two states is observed randomly, either excited or not excited. So if I'm looking at an atom, I can only observe one state that it's in. Now, how we get past that and how we demonstrate demonstrate superposition is we utilize a specific wave uh, set with proper frequency on the atom and the atom will begin to alternate progressively between a non-excited and an excited state, which is fascinating to me. It's two things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, this brings me back to Schrodinger's cat. A hypothetical cat may be considered simultaneously both alive and dead as a result of its fate being linked to a random subatomic event that may or may not occur a cat a flask of poison and a radioactive source are placed in a sealed box if an internal monitor e.g geiger counter detects radioactivity i.e a single atom decaying the flask is shattered releasing the poison which kills the cat the copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics implies that after a while the cat is simultaneously alive and dead Yet, when one looks in the box, one sees the cat either alive or dead, not both alive and dead. This poses the question of when exactly quantum superposition ends and reality resolves into one possibility or the other. Now, I brought this up for a reason, because this thing, I think this ties into this group think, and I think this ties into something that actually just happened, which I mentioned earlier in the episode, happened last week. Um, the James Webb Space Telescope just discovered what would be considered Schrodinger's Galaxy. Otherwise known as Sears 1749, which could be one of the most distant galaxies we've ever seen. Either it's super far away, further than any galaxy we've ever observed, or it's much closer to home, indicating that it exists at two different places at the same time. Obviously, this needs further research, and Sears 1749's incredibly bright light would be uh, from a t- uh, time some 13.6 billion years ago. Um, but I think it makes a poignant uh, point. What if this turns out to be true? One galaxy, two places at once. It would break our model of physics, our current understanding of the universe, the Big Bang. Basically, any models that we have tied to the universe, all of it would be have to be rethought, redone. And much of what we used to understand the cosmos would have to be reevaluated. I think that's a good thing. The multiverse. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple things there to look at. And 
the first is that the entire existence is based on observation only. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of scientists that believe the only reason our universe even exists is because we're able to observe it. Because in the absence of us as human beings able to being able to observe it, it would not exist. Mm-hmm. It would be something else entirely. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty deep thought, but it ties into what you're talking about mm-hmm. because uh, the the idea that two things can be uh, what do they call it? spooky. There's a there's a term they actually use. Spooky space syndrome. SSS. Well, it's, it's actually got the term spooky in it. You think from physicists and quantum physicists, they are in quantum mechanics. You wouldn't think about those kind of things. But quantum in general, and this is why quantum computers are coming into existence, because computerization in general is based on, you know, switches, ons and offs, zeros and ones, right? Bits. So if you can use quantum physics to show based on Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat that something is either one way or another, it's in two different states, then you can use that to compile data. You can use that to, to compute, right? So that's that's why this is such an interesting observation. So spooky entanglement is what they call it. I was and just looking it up. So, so the, yeah. Einstein called it spooky something. They call it quantum entanglement now. Mm-hmm. But the the idea, and this is it, when we studied in high school. When I when I studied in high school, there was something called an electron, and they would well, put a still picture exists. in an actual book <laughs> that you had to buy because there was no. Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't exist. That's the point. Well, the electrons are. We electron. use the word electron yeah. to define what is a cloud, mm-hmm. a positively charged or negatively charged portion of the cloud in the only time we can define what an electron is, really is is when it reaches a state mm-hmm. and the only way we can do that is to observe that state well it's like with water right different states of water gas well, that's a little water. different because we're talking about though. phase transitions but yeah. but my my point is is that we don't know yeah. and and we always have to we always forget this when we're talking about this stuff not as scientists perhaps but as as laymen that all of this stuff that we talk about, all of these these different physical characteristics, gravitational, magnetics, and anomalies, the, 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 the distance of these galaxies, whether they're there in two places or there in one or how space is curved and all the different things that go on, all are defined because we had to invent something called time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing we can't as human beings conceive beyond and i think that there was a point in quote-unquote time in which people considered that idea as ridiculous so i think when it comes to a potential galaxy which no longer exists even though the argument and the confusion is why is it so bright it's the brightest one of the brightest we've seen and it's 13.6 billion years old um which doesn't make sense um so you know something like that which if i brought that up 20 years ago a galaxy being in two different positions, the same galaxy at the same time, people would laugh at me and think it's nonsense. Um, I think that's a really good thing. And I think being open to different ideas and in thinking just for the very fact that you can is a really good thing. And I don't think people do it enough. We just turn our brains off because life is too quote unquote hard. I think that's silly. And I honestly think this is what some of the people back at the very beginning of this enlightenment and through it probably said to themselves and others that, I mean, they understood that they were human beings and that these things, these ideas that they had would evolve into something more good or bad, indifferent or not. 
And but the idea to think, mm-hmm. the idea to expand our possibilities, to be open-minded, as you said earlier, is truly a human quality that should never be dismissed. Yeah, and it, you know, at the end of the day, lighten, the Enlightenment brought humanity um, and strove to provide humanity with the ability to reason, and reason leads to hope, which leads to belief. And you can't be reasonable if your belief is held in the absolution of nothing or absolutism of nothing. Just like you can't be hopeful if you reject the ideals of national reasoning. I think they're collaborative. I think they go hand in hand. And, you know, it's it's possible to be both an optimist and a realist. Uh, and if we utilize the ideals and the enlightenment and the lessons we've learned through history, then I think it can be, allow us to become a better version of ourselves. Because I feel like there's a lot of social stagnancy going on because people just aren't they're not thinking. They're, they're aligning themselves and it's he said, she said, I need apology here. You should apology to be apologize to me there. I need reparations. I don't need reparations. We need to tear down this history thing and erect this and we need to change all that. It's all pointless. It's all pointless. It doesn't matter. I think it's a good exercise for people to, to back away from the idea of them being uh, central to their world. I also think that some degrees, too many yeah. people look at optimism as stupidity. Mm-hmm. They, they feel stupid. And then when things don't go their way, they say, well, what's the point? Well, and that's why, that's why I think there needs to be a, a, a understanding of differences. To be an optimist is to be a state of a human being. Just like to be a realist is to be a state of a human being. To be positive is a facet of that optimism. To be cynical can be a negative facet of realism. I think that if, if I was to take a thought out of an ex-astronomer, since we were talking about that, Carl Sagan, he wrote a book. Uh, I think it was 70s, I'm not sure. It was called Pale Blue Dot, I think it was called. And, and a very, very good book. Because he's, he's one of these guys that could talk to Lehman about some very technical things and, and really get his point across. But the name of the book is what always struck me as a kid and as an adult now, is that if you think of yourself as not insignificant, certainly very significant, because that's all about perspective but you realize that we're just on this little pale blue dot it gives you a perspective and allows you to be open-minded to things you've never thought possible Mm -hmm. one of those things being a galaxy two places at the same time which interesting very interesting um there's another thing i was reading about um there's a literal I think it's a literal galaxy that's actually uh, and all and some people who believe certain things are probably clapping about this uh, is not in the size that uh, or the shape of a traditional galaxy. It's like literally flat. It's very strange. Yeah, very, very strange. They're, they're discovering as we all knew they would. James, you, Webb. you guys weren't around before when I, I mean, when I was growing up, people would be kind of pushed off to the side or put in a corner quietly would talk about how there's probably a lot of planets out there mm-hmm. outside of our galaxy. Yeah. And the most people would say, no, no, no. Well, that's why I so think we stop, you know, when we stop being so centric mm-hmm. to our own story, the main character of our own story, not just the world opens to up to us, but the universe does. Um, I might flip that on, on its head. If we start being centric to the fact that we can change and we can influence certain things in a positive way. That's when things like that will change 
Because if I understand that and I understand that my response to you can influence how you think about certain things, then that's when everyone becomes a better person. If I sit down and listen to someone's idea, don't agree with it, but I don't crap on them. That makes the world a better place. That makes ideas um, free market instead of corporatized. Because that's really what this all comes down to. All the ideas that you've ever thought come from a corporation somewhere. Uh, Lovely. Point out the wrongness. Show me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's, we talked about it with the corporations episode. Kind of alarming. Just a little bit. Um, but yeah, this whole show has been brought to you by NASA. Um, if you could go ahead and sign. NASA uh, is not doing their moon. Yeah, they canceled moon it. Show well, it's because there's, uh, there's uh, problems. There's people on the other side it's of the always, moon. Um, problems. <laughs> but yeah, that wraps up our episode. Uh, again, hopefully, like all of our episodes, this gives you a little nugget to think about. Um, a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. I know that we get a little, uh, a little cynical sometimes. Uh, I happen to be uh, a monster of cynicism at times. And um, if, you, if you put this entire episode in a box mm. and you observe us at one point, it'll be perfect. Yeah. If you put it in a box with poison, did they get in trouble for animal cruelty? What country did that again? No, it wasn't an actual. It was, no, it was oh. a thought experiment. It was actually Ohio. Um, oh. Well, Ohio <laughs> might as well be its own country. Yeah, he uh, was also he was Schrodinger. He was also the one, the guy that said there's more than Germany. one way to skin a cat. Schrodinger is Germany. Oh, it is Germany. So. Yeah. Um, Knew it. But yeah, no, hopefully the uh, re-engagement of Enlightenment Principles comes back. Uh, just to a reminder of, you know, for our listeners and our viewers, if you like what you watched, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe. Um, we are a holistically sourced podcast. Thanks for listening to the Wolf and Bull podcast with your host, the Wolf and Bull. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all of the latest from The Wolf and Bull, you can tune in via our weekly episodes available on nearly every major listening platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Wolf and Bull. You can follow us on YouTube at The Wolf and Bull Podcast and at our website, thewolfandbull.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.